Let us pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for being our way maker. Thank you for making yourself known to us, for loving us. Thank you that we can come here together and just uh, be ourselves with you so that we can know you as you are. And you love us as we are. And we can know what it means to be in you as we receive you in our lives. As we live for you. And as we let you be that way maker for us. Thank you for this worship time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. It is... um, A real privilege to to tell you I'm Tom Crocker, and uh, just a privilege to be able to acknowledge I'm one of the pastors here to serve you and uh, to be with you this morning. Barrett uh, and and Rob Holdem are, uh, I guess, about to go to sleep, maybe. They're a little further ahead of us right now in India, and uh, they've had a full day of worship already in India there, training and teaching, and I got a text from him this morning, and he, uh, he was just saying he's, and you may have already heard from, from Robbie about this, I, I came in a little late, so I don't know, but uh, anyway, he, uh, he was just conveying his prayer, his prayer support for us. Well, we're in the middle and continuing our series on Jesus the Messiah. And today we're going to look at the topic, Real Humility, Depending on the Messiah. Real Humility, Depending on the Messiah. We're going to uh, look at some selected verses, uh, the first six verses in Matthew 18, and then uh, a few verses in Matthew 19. That's a lot different than last week. (laughs) which I'm grateful for in terms of reading. But um, I do need to set the scene a bit, a little for you. Um, Jesus and the disciples are at Capernaum in this passage in Galilee. And much has occurred, as we read last week. A whole lot was going on, and most recently especially, there was that confession of Peter in response to the question by Jesus, Who are people saying that I am? Where he said, you are the Christ, the one. And and then Jesus affirms him. It gives him a new name, sort of, or or embraces his name. And uh, also challenges him. Says that Satan's after you and has you and I've prayed for you. So all that stir has gone on. And then... Then there's the transfiguration where Peter and then James and John have been invited to go up into the mount with Jesus, which again represents some lifting out, if you would, of these three to do some investment in and uh, sort of positions them in a certain way. There then is the failure by all of them to cast out the demon in the young boy. And they're all frustrated by that. 
And Jesus said, all, all you need is faith, faith like a mustard seed, which is very revealing in terms of what they were, may have been depending on as we looked at last week. So there's a kind of a uncertainty. And then along all this time, Jesus has began to tell them about his going and foretelling his death. And it brought great distress to the disciples. And so all of that is happening, but along the way, in the midst of all this, there's, there's this uh, apparent jockeying, if you would, for position. Even the distress of Jesus foretelling his death sort of proves short in their emotion and memory. For now, they are arguing with one another about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They, they thought maybe Peter was, and he got kind of put down, and then different ones were looking at themselves, perhaps. Who's going to be the greatest? That's what actually comes out of their mouths next. It's a revealing question. But there's a more revealing answer by our Lord. Let's, let's read it together. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And then looking in uh, chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, we've just heard Jesus teaching, let's watch his action. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Our core truth today is that the greatest is the one who humbles himself. Now the disciples should have really known better. They, they were students of the word and in all through Old Testament this truth is raised up. In fact, no more clearly is it raised in, than in Psalm 147, 6. For the psalmist says, the Lord lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Jesus also taught on this on other occasions. Luke 14, 11, he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the greatest one 
is that one who humbles himself. Now, I don't, do you have a little stir about that within you, a little kind of like, okay, I'm going to be humble, and then I'm going to be lifted up as the greatest. Uh, how am I going to stay humble? You see what I'm saying? I don't. Maybe I'm the only one that has that thought. That may be a weird thought. Like, how do you handle that? <laughs> you know, the cycle there. Well, that may be because we have a little different, maybe not quite the right view of humility there. If we if we land there, because all of that sounds like it depends on us. That's the whole point of humility. And on this occasion, Jesus really jolts the disciples in response to their question of who's the greatest. He just jolts them because he calls to him a child. Now, I love that. I love what it says there. In fact, if you go, it's not on the slide, but if you go back and you see um, at that, who is, they ask who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 2, it says, and calling to him a child. Do you, do you get the feel of that, the picture of that? This is a family setting. You know, this is, these are disciples. They're, Peter, probably Peter's home, they, they're just gathered like family. And then these disciples get into this argument, and Jesus just calls, come over here. You see, that child is known by Jesus, and Jesus is known by that child. I love that picture. He just calls him over and he brings them before them and says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, we need to really understand a little bit about that. So to help me today, I've invited a friend. Now, I've invited Ethan to come up here, and we're going to talk a bit. Come on up, Ethan. <laughs> Y'all give Ethan a hand. <laughs> Miss Paula and I have an opportunity to uh, have Bible study with Ethan and his younger brother and uh, younger sister on Sunday mornings. That's how we've gotten to know each other, right, Ethan? Yes. Yeah. Hold that right up there. <laughs> I, we've been talking a little bit about this day, and uh, I even talked to Ethan by phone yesterday, and I, uh, he said, I've been practicing. And what did I say? Well, tell me the questions you're answering so I'll know what to ask. <laughs> About what it means to be humble and, like, what does it mean to be, to, to have to be, a, be like a child to go to heaven? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we've talked about. That's who I remember the most. For the rest, I'm like... Wait, what was it? <laughs> I, I think that was the main point right there. You did good. Yeah. Let me ask you. Let, let me let these folks get to know you a little bit, okay? Okay. Um, how old is your brother? My brother is three years old. Mm. How old is your sister? She is five years old. And how old are you? 
nine. That kind of makes you an expert on ch children, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, Ethan, tell, tell us what's brought you to Memphis. So, um, in November, okay. I, I want to start all the way at the start, mm. but I think I'll just do the parts that are important. Okay. Okay. This morning, that might yeah. be good. Yeah. <laughs> so, what happened was, okay, I, I had these pains in my legs, in my head, and I just wasn't feeling good. This was in October, so I wasn't feeling good, mm. and we went to the doctor because that's what anybody would do. Yeah. So the doctor said, it looks like nothing. Hmm. And then I went again to the doctor because it was worsening hmm. on November 1st. And, he's, and my dad said, maybe um, I should take him to the eye doctor. And my doctor said yes. So, when I went to the eye doctor, she did the few tests, and she saw, th she, she saw something that was weird. Mm. And she dilated my eyes to make them, like, dilated means, like, mm. to make it easier to see through them. So, she ran, a few she ran a few tests, and what happened was she saw, she... What slowly saw a bunch of things that were like weird mm -hmm. and were not normal. Like he, she did the test that she, I have to look at her finger. So yeah. she went up, down, and Your I was fine. And when I went, right. when yeah. she went th like this, I couldn't squint. Okay. So, so she, she did one more, and like I saw her on her face. She was, she was like squirming like, this doesn't look right. So mm. actually what happened, um, she said, I have um, pressure in my brain around my eye. That, so she said, take, to take me to the hospital emergency room right that mm. moment. Yeah. And we drove out. And we went to the hospital. I took a CAT scan. I was diagnosed with a kind of cancer called medulloblastoma. And at the end, after my surgery and, and everything, um, my dad researched what is the best hospital that treats my cancer. And the first thing that popped out was St. Jude. Mm. So a few days after that, on December 2nd, came here in Memphis. Hmm. So that was practically why I came here. Yeah. And you, where do you live? New York City. New York City. Yeah. We're so glad that you're here. Yeah. To get help. Yeah. Uh, glad that you're in our church. We, we've been kind of arguing about which one has the best zoo, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me, what does it mean for you? Or who is it that you trust in? 
these days. I trust my mom, my dad, all these people that are supporting me in my journey, having mm -hmm. cancer, and well, God, he's my biggest support. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean to you to be able to trust in them and depend on them? It feels really good. It feels like I'm always safe. Mm. Yeah. Well, we want to pray for you. Can we do that? Sure. And I'm just so glad you're here. You yeah. are a great example for us. Thanks. Let's, let's pray. Father God, I pray for Ethan. Thank you for, in his humility, his courage, his desire to know you and to be dependent on you and then all those who are here to help him in that. Thank you for the way he's teaching us today, the way that you're speaking to us today. For as we have received him, we have received you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give me Jesus, gave his disciples two actions in response to their question. He said, you must turn. You must turn. Truly, I say to you in Matthew 18, 3, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, unless they had turned and become dependent and trusting in Jesus like a child, they couldn't even get in. And that's true for us. They couldn't even enter the kingdom. Childlikeness is the condition of entrance. Now, that doesn't mean that children are, are, are innocent or, or not, or perfect, maybe I should say, or pure. All I have to do is invite you to hang out with my three-year-old grandson <laughs> for about a half a day. Or a younger brother, right, Ethan? <laughs> and you will see, that doesn't fit. We're not talking about that position of, of uh, perfection or, or, or ill. We're talking about that position of dependence, as Ethan so represented well to us today, of trusting and that dependence is on Jesus Christ. A child is already in that place. 
You see, a child is in the place of dependence. We know that. Sometimes they want to be independent, but eventually they realize they've got to be in the arms of mama or that person who's caring for them in that moment. They're dependent. But we, we have to make that decision. We have to choose to come and turn away from that which we are depending on within ourselves. And we have to choose to be in that place of dependence. When, when self is most important or the basis of our dependence, our back is turned to the kingdom. You see, but that's what's going on. When we're depending on something else or ourselves, our back is turned to the kingdom. And we must turn around in total dependence upon Jesus Christ. And we must humble ourselves and say, Lord, I must be in you and you alone. That is what humility is. It's total dependence on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just like a child is dependent and trusting. Now he goes on and says, not only is it necessary to enter the kingdom, and he was just reminding them they were in the kingdom. He was just reminding them how they got there. He said, you, you gave yourself to me. That's what it took to come and, and to know me. But you have to live in humility too. You have to remain humble to be in the kingdom functionally, to really serve and to be a part. That's what he was trying to get their attention to. You see, there's just simply no room for personal ambition, personal power, or personal prestige in the kingdom. Or we'll follow the disciples quickly down that path of who is the greatest, or who's the most important, or Am I, am I significant? Am I, am I important? But personal greatness is the direct opposite of the true concern of discipleship. Our true significance, our true significance is found in the place of humility. It's found in that chair that we place ourselves in. Now, that doesn't mean we're a doormat to any and everyone that comes along. And by that, I mean there is truth that we stand on. There is gospel-centeredness and Bible-based truth that we must be embracing and, 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 and stand on. And actually, Matthew 18, we're not going to get into it today, but is Jesus' instructions to the church. And it's, a, it's instructions on how we're to treat one another and how we're to relate to one another. And sometimes there are just some hard calls that have to be made in the midst of standing on the truth. May I suggest to us that when we have to make those hard calls, we had better be humble. We had better make sure we are being totally dependent on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
or we would have no business dealing with those hard calls. Now, Matthew 18, 5 through 6, wow, these, this, is, this is really um, significant because he tells us here how we're to receive one another and protect one another. Now, let's read it together again. I think it's up there. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. What a graphic and important message that we have from our Lord. And of course, there's always the question, what did he really mean here? Is he talking about literal children? Is that what this means here? How we're supposed to receive children just like we're receiving Ethan today and protect them? Or what about young believers? Maybe that's what he's referring to, those who are young in the faith. Or is he talking about all of us in the kingdom because there is the theme throughout Scripture that, in, that we are the children of God, and in Christ, Christ calls us the children of God. Well, I think the answer to that is yes. I just think it's yes. We, we know certainly Jesus loved the children. All you got to do is look at Matthew 19, 13 through 15, and you see in that action, I yeah, I had that, where now... He is acting out of what he's been teaching. There's a picture that I've bought a long time ago. It's my favorite picture. I don't know if you can see that real well. I don't know how old this thing is. I just know it costs $9.95 <laughs> at the, what was then the Baptist bookstore. I saw that and it grabbed me. It, was, it captivated me. Jesus loves the children. He loves the children. We, he, they never were just an object lesson to him. His heart went to them. He loves the children. And we need to remember that. It, it, that. That's why it's important as a church that we do what we do for our children, our family ministry, that we provide well on Sunday morning, right now even as they're in Bible study, and that we have the best of the best reaching out to our children because Jesus loves the children. That's why we do what we do in the city why we go to Target House and reach out and love children because Jesus loves the children. That's why we go to Ma'am. Jesus loves the children. And did you see what he said? When you receive one of these little ones, you receive me. And when we're reaching out and we're loving these children, even that most ruly, unruly, even that most hard Hardest one to grab a hold of and catch. 
when we gaze in their eyes, we'll see the eyes of Jesus. Because he loves the children. And certainly, certainly it must mean the young believer. Certainly we must be attentive to the one who is just new to Christ. They deserve our utmost attention, utmost support, utmost love. But frankly, we can see this as a picture and an application for every one of us as the children of God. For even Romans 8.16 says, His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You see, when we receive one another, that's a natural evidence of our humility. That's a natural evidence of our humility when we can receive one another and love one another that way. It is a total picture of humility. This is kind of what that looks like. I think you know who that is. <laughs> I couldn't believe that ran this week. Channel 5 did a story on this classroom in this school and how they love little Miriam, who's, I, I, don't, I don't know if she's back there now. She'll be back there later. She's, in, she's one of our ones that we get to be with every Sunday morning. And they talking about hugs and kindness and welcoming. I wasn't sure I could get through this part. That's a picture of what it means to receive one another. To receive one another in Christ as an, as an evidence of humility because we put aside everything that is self. We, we obliterate self. <laughs> we obliterate it when we turn to Jesus and we depend on him. And in our dependence, we embrace one another because we're dependent on him together. And we can love and unite together that way. When we receive one another in Christ's name, we receive Jesus. We, we need to remember that, that in this room, as we receive one another, we are receiving Jesus. Jesus is present, yes, outside of each one of us, but in each one of us who have received him and we come together in our dependence and in our humility Christ is with us in a way that there's vibrancy there's life and when there is discord and when there's angst and there's something going on that's a definite cue that we need to move back into the chair we have moved out of the chair we have moved out of the place of humility. Now he says something else that's really graphic. He says we must protect one another. And here's where I really believe and I know and I'm convinced that this is speaking of one another as children of God because he says if you harm one of these children it's hideous. <laughs> 
And we, we know, all we have to do is hear reports about that kind of action toward children. And we've heard it even this week. And it just sickens us and it's hideous. But what I want to suggest to you is that when we cause someone within the body, when we cause someone else who has Christ in them to move away from their dependence on Christ because we have led them astray, that is hideous. He says it so graphically in a way that he says it's better that you have a millstone, which is not the small millstone in the kitchen. It's the huge millstone that the mule turned to crush the wheat, put around your neck, and then thrown into the sea, which was the most fearful thing that a Jew could hear, to go be cast in the sea and drown. What he described for them was the most horrendous kind of thing that they could imagine and said, it's better that that happened to you than you cause another child in Christ to stumble, to sin. May I invite you and me and us to let that sink in a bit? You see what he's saying? We are responsible for how we care well for other Christians and how we represent Christ and the dependence on Jesus in our humility to others. If we lead them astray, we are pushing them away from their dependence on Jesus. And that is a horrible place and a horrible action. That just must sink into us. And we can do that directly. We can do that indirectly. You can just fill in whatever blank you want to. How we can do it. We can do that by our example. Paul even in his letter once said that if you do something you feel you have freedom to do, because you're in Christ, but your brother is going to stumble because of it, don't do it. Don't do it. We must care well for those who are with us as children to, make, to help them be dependent. That is his exhortation to us that we need to take and heed well so we're back to our core truth the greatest is the one who humbles himself for there's so much at stake and I know I've kind of left that on a real sobering thought but this isn't just a story in the Bible about Jesus and children it's about us and our humility of being dependent on him and what's at stake if we're not well what's the response 
Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. I mean, he told his disciples, don't stop them from coming. Don't, aren't you glad the disciples were hard heads like that? I mean, it makes me feel better. I mean, think about it. He had to keep reminding them, hey, don't you get it? These children, they're like those who come in the kingdom. Don't let them, don't stop them from coming. That's his message to us. Wherever you find your place, wherever you need to come before the Lord, come running to him. He will receive you and he will serve you in our humility with him. That's the response today. That's the, that's the, the invitation today for us. So humility, true humility is depending on the Messiah. How's that going? How's that going? Let us come together. Encourage one another. Support one another. That we may depend on our Lord. And be humble in the kingdom.